0: Amelia Telford isn't just an environmentalist. She was also the National Director of the Seed Indigenous Youth Climate Network and is now the First Nations Justice Director at Australian Progress. Winning several awards for her tireless work and creating networks of First Nations conservationists, environmentalists, and change makers, Amelia is a passionate advocate for the preservation of First Nations cultural knowledge. Amelia Telford, welcome to Speaking Out.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I wonder if we could just start with you telling us where you grew up and who was really influential in shaping your worldview.
1: I'm a Bundjalung and South Sea Islander woman. I was born in Tweed Heads on the north coast of New South Wales and lived most of my life a bit further south. So I um, went to school in Lismore and yeah, my family are still living around the Evans Head area. And so my family had such a big impact on my life in particular mum and dad Dad is Aboriginal and South sea Islander and then Mum is a white woman, Pakia from New Zealand. And you know, I think so much of their life and impact that their parents had on them is what has really shaped me in a lot of ways. Like growing up, I think we just witnessed so much of the hardship of what mum and dad went through being multi-race family, but also seeing the way that mum's white family reacted to her being with a black man and then the way that intergenerational trauma that my dad broke a lot of cycles within our family and ended up doing a whole lot of work at home around Lismore in the community starting an organisation called Rekindling the Spirit and working with families impacted by drugs and alcohol, domestic violence, sexual abuse and the challenges that our communities face at times and A lot of what mum and dad constantly did was instill values in my brothers and I, where we were always taught to ask ourselves about the impact that decisions that we would make or the actions that we would take, like how that would impact others, both in terms of people around us, but generations ahead of us and reflecting on generations before us as well. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but realistically, it's, yeah, it's family that has absolutely shaped who I am and, and the way I see the world.
0: So for you personally, obviously you're a different generation to your parents who sort of helped shape your political activism, your sense of social justice, I can hear it when you talk, but for you with your generation, what do you see as the key challenges?
1: Mm, yeah, it's a great question. I feel really deeply that, I mean, I often get curious as to every whether everyone feels like this in their generation, but I do feel like the youngest of the generation right now has a really interesting but also like critical role to play in shaping the future of our world where you know I think when we're more connected than we ever have been we have access to so much information we are experiencing this place in the world where we as First Nations young people like we know how important our culture is and and our, our country is and and learning from our elders and and learning about our responsibility to ourselves to to one another to the land and we're hyper aware of that people are constantly wanting to do good I feel like our generation right now in this really interesting position where we're more connected than ever we have more access to information than ever we you know are learning from so many of our old people who have been fighting this fight for a long time but also we are in a position where we're like taking on a lot of responsibility because we are so responsible to to ourselves and, and to community and to country. And we take that really seriously. And so we we want to be a part of change, you know. And and I think there's incredible movements right across this country, but also right across the world for justice, you know, whether that's First Nations justice, climate justice, gender justice, of being led by young people. And I feel really lucky in a way, like to be a part of that. But there's also like a huge burden that a lot of us feel too. And so I think it's like we need to be looking out for one another and looking for ways for how do we stay strong in all of this because it's not easy, but we have this, you know, for many First Nations young people, we have this fire burning in our bellies and we know that we've got to stand up for what's right and do whatever it takes. But it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And that's something that I think a lot of our elders have reminded us because, yeah, sometimes we go... bullet a gate. Um, But we also have to look at, you know, the bigger picture here of what change is possible, but knowing
0: that it's a long game as well. Well, you certainly have a lot of energy and you were even younger than you are now when I first met you and you were (laughs) doing amazing work then and you haven't stopped. What can you tell us about Australian Progress and Common Threads?
1: I have recently joined the team at Australian Progress, which is an organisation that people may or may not be aware of. Really, it's all about building power and strength of our movements for social change and across a whole range of different issues. And I think what is so powerful about that is bringing people together, whether they're working in health or housing or disability justice or climate change or whatever it might be, and seeing ways that we can work together with one another to achieve like the common goals and vision that we have. And so it was really exciting when I came on board a few months back and we were talking about the vision to put on a big summit to bring together Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander campaigners and organisers, storytellers, activists, academics, you know, people working towards creating change for our communities, bringing us together for a few days um, to look at not only i guess what's our vision for change but also how can we build you know the strength of our movements build our skills our connections relationships strategize together and plan regardless of what's going on in the political context but i think also in a year where first nations affairs are front and center felt so timely to to do that and so Yeah, it was pretty amazing. On the 30th and 31st of March, we brought together almost 300 First Nations people from across the country together in Brisbane for two days and it was very powerful. And thank you so much for being there, Larissa. There was incredible spectrum of people who joined us both as speakers and facilitators, but everyone had so much to bring. Like Even all of the participants were not only bringing the work that they do, but I mean, 300 people is is not a lot of people, but I think there was so much value in knowing that all of those people were going to take back what they learnt and talked about and um, share that with their communities as well. So... Yeah, it was a pretty powerful
0: event. I was going to ask you what it felt like for you, for me to be in a room with people who I had grown up admiring their work and then to also see a whole generation of younger people coming through with this new energy and kind of reinvigorating us older people. It was really <laughs> powerful. But from your perspective, did you get a moment since you were so thick in the organising it to actually reflect on what it felt to be like in that room with all those people such different backgrounds, but all working tirelessly in different ways for change in the First Nations community.
1: I have to be completely honest. For me, I didn't get to process it all until evening and a few days afterwards where it wrapped up because I was quite busy in in the sort of behind the scenes organising of it all. But afterwards, it just was overwhelmed by messages coming in and calls and conversations with people talking about how impactful it was on them. And I think that Yeah, that was just the absolute gold for me, like seeing that what we set out to achieve, we really did achieve and people saying how this is a space that they want to continue to see our mob be able to come together and and feel that power. Because like I said earlier, it is tough work and I know how much it takes a toll on people and their bodies and our lives and And so it's not often that we get, you know, to put a few days aside where we get to like dream about what the future is that we're working towards and talk about the challenges that we have, talk about the ideas that we have, and then look at how we build plans for making that possible. So it was very, very special. And it's one that, yeah, I hope that we will be able to do
0: again. I was going to ask you, what are the next steps?
1: There's still lots of next steps coming out of it. But I think just so that listeners are aware, like we had... Sessions where the whole room was together, but then we also were able to break out into different issue based areas. And so some of those included talking about protecting country and cultural heritage and climate change, talking about health and housing and disability justice, talking about education and, you know, telling our stories our way and reviving languages. We talked about Organising in our communities on the referendum and having those important conversations, looking at how that then impacts truth telling and treaty. And there was one more, what was it? But yeah, across all those different issue based areas, we had incredible people leading. Oh, sorry, the last one, of course. Important issues that many of our communities are, are fighting and working on is around deaths in custody and law reform and justice. And so there's all of these campaigns that communities are running right across the country. And so much of what we were trying to do was for people who are working in those spaces to talk about how we can build collaborations and support one another in resourcing or building strategy or whatever it might be. And so we're we're still in conversation with everyone about, you know, sort of where to next and what the long-term plans are. But ultimately a big part of our role in Australian Progress is to look at how we continue to build ongoing capacity and providing like trainings, whether it be on on media skills and having more, more of our mob, um, out there as, you know, um, uh, getting our voices out, um, and being heard, whether it be in fundraising, you know, to, to build the resourcing for, for more and more of this work, whether it be in, you know, campaigning and and lobbying government or, you know, organizing and bringing people together, um, continuing to provide, yeah, that ongoing training and support, um, is a big part of, of what we will continue to do. and, And our hope is that that, Um, you know, leads towards, um, yeah, change in outcomes on the campaigns that communities are leading across the spectrum of issues.
0: There's often an observation uh, fairly made that, you know, there's often an expectation from non-Indigenous people that Indigenous people... First Nations people will have the same view about lots of things. And um, obviously, um, there's such a diversity of views and a diversity of politics. It's one of the things that's come out, I think, strongly in the campaign around the voice to parliament rep- referendum is that actually there are a spectrum of views within the First Nations community. So I am just wondering what your reflection is, working on a project called Common Threads. When you bring a group together, do you find that there is... Uh, a lot of division or do you find that you can find common ground or do you you find that it depends on the issue?
1: I think that, you know, any community has a a diversity of opinions on any particular topic. And I think there's huge strength in that. You know, I think often for our mob, it, it gets used against us. Actually, you know, so much of what we were trying to achieve in putting on common threads was I guess, embracing the tension that can exist in bringing people from all different, um, I guess, perspectives together. And so we were very intentional about that. We knew that we're never going to expect that we're all going to get on the same page and agree on on everything. But one of the big things we can find is like those common values that we share and the vision that we're working towards. And then, you know, from there, you've just got to respect that there's going to be lots of different pathways towards getting to that vision and lots of different roles that people play. And whether you're, you know, sort of lobbying from the inside, whether you're, you know, out on the streets protesting from the outside, like whatever it might be, like, we've got to be able to see how those things all contribute towards the bigger picture of what it takes to create change. And so it's tough because there is tension. and But I think that we owe out to ourselves to know that we can create spaces where we can have these tough conversations, but do so with, with care and respect and, and hear each other out. And I think there's absolute power in that because you've got to be, I guess, a bit uncomfortable at times and, and people experience that really differently. But having those, I mean, my dad calls them courageous conversations <laughs> and being you know brave to sort of put it out there, knowing that you create a bit of friction, but actually that's what does spark that change. So I think it's something that we, we shouldn't really be scared of. Like, I think we need to embrace and, and, and then be able to respect, you know, the different pathways and different roles that people play.
0: Well, just finally, how can people find out more or get involved with your work?
1: All of this work fits within the umbrella of Passing the Message Stick. That's where I guess Common Threads came from and has been a partnership between both Australian Progress and Get Up, and then a whole range of different organisations and, and funders who made it happen. And so the best place that I'd um, recommend people to go to is passingthemessagestick.org.au where you see a whole lot of the messaging research that we've been doing, looking at how we shift and build narratives for First Nations justice and self-determination. And there's actually a whole um, big research report we've been doing that we'll be sharing very soon. And so if you head to the website and sign up to access the resources, to stay in touch about different events. You'll hear from us soon about some more events that we'll be doing into the future or head to the Common Threads website, commonthreads.org.au, which will keep updated about future events, knowing that it'll definitely be something that happens again whether it be next year or the year after, I'm not sure yet, but we would love to be a space that different mob from right across the country have the opportunity to be a part of.
0: Well, we'll keep watching. I've always admired your work. I love your energy and your passion. And thank you so much for spending some time with us on Speaking Out.
1: Thanks, Larissa. I appreciate it. And right back at you.
0: Amelia Telford is a social justice advocate and First Nations Justice Director at Australian Progress. Speaking out with Larissa Barron. The knowledge, the culture, the arts, the language, the law and customs of Indigenous people. On ABC Radio. As you heard earlier, more than 300 First Nations advocates and campaigners from across the country came together in Brisbane recently to build movements and collaborations across a range of issues, organisations and communities. The Common Threads Summit was seen as an opportunity to discuss prominent Indigenous issues such as law reform, protecting country, climate and cultural heritage, racism and inequality, and the upcoming referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Speakers at the event included Auntie Mary Graham.
2: My name is Mary Graham. I was actually born in Brisbane, but I grew grew up in my father's people's area, are Yugambeh language speaking people from the Gold Coast, actually. And my own actual group is the Comberberry, yeah, on the on the Gold Coast. And my mother's side, she was Walker Walker from the Burnett River district. She was actually on um Reserve Sherbourg or Baramba as she always called it, but it became uh Cherbourg. So I've got relatives all around South Queensland actually through that. My father they lived all the time on the Gold Coast. He'd wanted down here. She had to be, as they used to say about the Queensland legislation, you could be exempted every now and then. Big groups of people were exempted from that legislation. My father's mob, though, here, were never under that legislation, or if it was, it was widespread, you know, throughout the whole state of Queensland. But they never took any notice of it. They just went ahead and living as they always did here, very independent. And I guess there was the same kind of violence, you know, racist violence in the early days. That was here too. Plenty of stories here about that, like everywhere else in the country. But they fought back really quite firmly, really determined their own way of life here and just stood up against any kind of racist or violent behaviour from Europeans here. So I grew up really with that idea of what kind of people were these who came in and did what they like in our country and so on. So we always did have a very firm idea of whose country this is, actually which I got from both my parents and all my relatives, actually. I guess that influenced my thinking and my way of acting. And later on, definitely enjoyed uh, my own way of like writing it down and thinking about politics. That, that was the biggest one for me, was to try to find the answer to how come these things in this country, you know, in our country. Where did this idea of colonisation go back? About- where did it come from? Anyway, I've been on that path ever since back I am forever beholding to my mom, especially my parents, for helping me in all sorts of ways, emotionally, yeah, every, every different way you could think of, uh, to continue that. Working at a, an organisation early on, when I was much younger, called Child Care, it started out to be a small organisation created by the health centre at, at the time. And gradually it grew to do quite a large stuff. I had a wonderful board members, people that we worked with, and the community. Most of all, I learned a great deal from the community. It was was childcare, as in working with families, especially women and children, uh, helping them with all aspects of life, really looking for accommodation, domestic violence, the children uh, giving their mothers a break, you know, but also, they were fostering uh, processes too. But their life, there were a whole lot of interesting things done. Like, we actually, at a time, helped uh, Queensland, uh, helped, well, worked out having uh, changing legislation with the Queensland government, actually. Uh, and they were kind of big things too. But the most that impacted me was uh, the great um, strength of Aboriginal women, because I came from a big family, seven brothers, <laughs> no sisters a very strong mother, very, very strong, very tough, from sherbu, And, you know, she wouldn't put up with anything from um, racist people or the government or whoever was trying to put us down at any time, you know. But uh, And I saw this same strength, even though a lot of mothers, wives, mothers were having the hardest time, you know. And it's sort of in a funny kind of way, it helped me to – because by that time I was quite angry, you know, angry young person. Uh, but it made me like uh, settle that sort of anger. But it turned into kind of more of a a huge admiration, you know, for a that's you know, all I suppose we'd say, spirit of of uh, Aboriginal people, but especially women and wives mut- and mothers and so on. So it affected my thinking and feeling and and so on. That's probably but probably it. But I I sort of realised a whole lot of things about what you say about simply being Aboriginal and how you know people talk about the, the, the uh, Aboriginal people yeah. But There's all these other qualities to that bravery, but also that really deep uh, humanitarianism or something I don't know. What um, but it's to do with the spirit of being Aboriginal. Yeah, so. It's sort of stayed in the back of my mind you know, uh, after going through other experiences, trying to get to the bottom of how and why we are uh, our people, you know, uh, the way they are. We've been victimised, but we're, being a victim is not part of our identity. Being an owner, and runner of country, owning the country, running the country, because we've got our own experts, our people in health, people in legal. We know how to do these things. We just have to have a, like a multidisciplinary team, I believe, looking at the case for Aboriginal self-governance and working like that, coming up with the policies, criticising the official policies that have never worked and don't intend to work, and we'll make up those policies and tell them how to do things. You know? In fact, if they want to talk about constitutional stuff, They could ask us to write a constitution. We'd write a constitution for them and it'd be the best constitution in the world probably, you know, the most civilised, highly civilised. They don't know who they're dealing with, what a a goldmine of expert skills, wisdom, toughness, you know, they don't don't really know what toughness is really. That's what I hope for the future for young people. By the time they're grown up, they adult, they will be running the country.
0: That's Auntie Mary Graham. She was speaking recently as part of Common Threads, a national First Nations Justice Summit held in Brisbane late last month.